All right, I appreciate everybody coming at this uh, different time today. Uh, it's different because we're going to make a siyum. Normally, we make a siyum either on a seder of masachet, uh, seder of mishnayot, sorry, or a masachet of Talmud. Uh, sometimes people will make a siyum on, for instance, the entire Mishnah Torah of the Rambam. Uh, but we're all going to be making a siyum this Shabbat on Sefer Shmot. And it's not often that we get to talk about Parshat Pekudei and a broader view of Sefer Shmot. Uh, we get to this year because, of course, Pekudei sits by itself, and it is also not one of the uh, four parshiot. It's the off Shabbat uh, in between Shkalim and Zachor. And so I want to take a look at the end of Parshat Pekudei and sort of what Pekudei as a culmination of the uh, of what Sefer Shmot is about. And to do that, I want to start with the beginning of Sefer Shmot, which you see here in the first Pasuk, and of course, people will often make the mistake of referring to, uh, of noticing how a parsha is referred to or a book is referred to and say, oh, that's the theme of the entire book. Um, it's not necessarily the case. Um, um, it is true that Dvarim is Moshe's speech. Bamidbar all happens in Midbar, but so to say for Shemot and Vayikra. Um, and therefore, Chachamim actually had different names for the books. Um, however, uh, we could find a particular meaning uh, here in the fact that the book starts with Ve'ilah Shmop in Israel and has it ties in to the second half of the Sefer and its culmination, which is with the construction, the successful construction of the Mishkan. Well, I say successful because at the end of that, as we'll see, of course, the cloud comes down and God's Shekhinah is again returned to Bnei Israel. So we see the opening pasuk. We're all familiar with it. The Ramban in his introduction to Sefer Shmot um, presents an argument for literary holism that Sefer Shmot is not only a separate book, but it's also an integrated book with one overarching theme. And here he goes. We'll just read it. Now the, he is originally addressing a problem that the Midrash addressed and Rashi quotes the Midrash, um, and that is the repetition of the names of Bnei Israel who came down to Mitzrayim, because after all, the whole 70 or so were listed back in Perak Namvava Breshit, so I repeat it in an abbreviated form here. So Rashi has his comment, which shows how much God loves Bnei Israel, uh, but the Ramban, in his commentary, uh, which is after this, this is the introduction, addresses it, but picks up on this, on this piece. Here we go. And the Ramban now is picking up on the fact that Chachamim, as I mentioned, did not have the same names for the Sfarim that we had. They didn't call Breshit Shmot. They referred to the first book once in a while, whenever they referred to it as Sefer Yitzirah. And he said, Sefer Yitzirah, Book of Formation, you could argue, only covers the first two chapters or so of Breshit. But he says it's not, because it's not the formation of the world, it's the formation of humanity, and ultimately the formation of the nation, which takes the entire Book of Breshit to cover. And this is a principle that the Ramban reverts to continually, starting from almost the beginning of Breshit, certainly in Parakut Bet, and on and on saying that what, what the Avot do establish patterns for the future history of Am Yisrael. It's not just Maseh Avot Siman Lebanin in the sense 
that we can learn from them, but rather they blaze trails for us. And so he says, sefer acher. So now there's a second book. And as he said, the second book, we're calling it Shemot, is really the, the action of the potential of Breshit. Breshit established patterns, and now Shemot's going to be the, the uh, realization of those patterns. So Shmot starts out, and the first nine chapters or ten chapters of, of it focus on the galut, which was decreed in Breshit, and the redemption from it. Now, you would think, if that's the case, that Sefer Shmot, if it was about galut vigula, would end at Shiratayam, maybe at Harsinai. So Mishkan becomes a little bit of a problem. He says, that's why the text goes back and recounts who came down, and then, and to say the total was 70, and then quickly zips ahead to the current era. In other words, you're going to write a book about redemption. You've got to start with the beginnings of the expulsion or the exile, and that starts with them coming down. And this is a kick, this is the key point. So the Ramban here argues that Gula is not what you think it is. Gula is not just, I'm in a mess and now I get out of it. Gula is to be restored to your formerly pristine position, your formerly noble position. And he gets this really from the word Gula as it's used in its most frequent usage in Chumash, which is Gulat Karka and Gulat Avadim, in which somebody who was a family member had to sell land. It's your job as a cousin, as an uncle, et cetera, to go in and buy the land so it can be redeemed back to the family. In other words, returns to where it's supposed to be. If somebody sells himself into slavery, you have a responsibility, if possible, to redeem him so he can become, again, a free man and not a slave. And the same way, here we go. So even though we left slavery, we're still in exile. We were in a foreign land, lost in the desert. So you would think that's the point. They made the Mishkan. That's the point. HaKadosh Baruch Hu returned and put his Shechina back among them. Then they return to the noble position of their ancestors. God's presence was over their tents. He says the Merkava, which we read about in the beginning of Yechezkel, which is the chariot of the Shekhinah, that's the Avot. Then they're considered to be redeemed. He says, that's why Shmot doesn't end at, at Kriyat Yamsuf, doesn't end at doesn't end at Kriyat Yamsuf, doesn't end even at Aserat Adibrot and then the Gilui at Har Sinai, but rather when the Shekhinah comes and rests fully among them. And to add on to what I said last week, that the full Tshuva and the full Kapara, the full Mechila for Cheta Ego, when Hashem's presence rests among us, is the, is the, um, is the Geulah. One more point to make to, before we start looking at the Parshat Kudai. Again, going back to the beginning of Shemot, 
Ve'ilishmot. The Sforno has a different take on the listing of Shmot here, but not necessarily in opposition to the Ramban, but something that I think will enhance the Ramban. He says, Ve'ilishmot, and remember in Breshit, we listed 66 names, plus three more, 69 names, plus Yaakov, 70, or 70 is a chabad, or however you want to count 70. But we listed all the names, children, some grandchildren, some great-grandchildren, but in, in the beginning of Shmot, all we have is Yaakov's direct sons, that's it. These ones are worthy to speak of by the name, to mention their name. Each one should be reckoned as their name, because their name demonstrates something about who they are. That's a certain belief about names. Their whole lives, they were enlightening and serving as guides for others. As long as they were alive, B'nai Yisrael did not descend into bad ways. Because the Sforno is going to build an argument that what happened after they died was that the Egyptians tried to subjugate, and we would expect that noblemen and the sons of noblemen would stand up and either rebel or leave. And the surprise was that Pnei Israel had become so lowly and with no self-esteem and no backbone that they accepted the servitude and the decrees and everything else until finally Moshe had to pull them out of that. The people afterwards were not considered to be so important, and therefore their names aren't mentioned. That's where the, that's where the Sforno goes. So I want to pick that up and and take us first to the end of Kudai, and then talk about a theme that takes place um, in in the whole Mishkan environment and what's happening. The last chapter, which is going to be very festive, this Shabbat, you know, the last chapter of Breshit is the death of Yaakov, the burial of Yaakov. Then the brothers are afraid. The last chapter of Vayikra is after the Tochacha, a chapter about uh, Haramim and, uh, and other hektesh, very legalistic. The last chapter of Bamibar is the complaint of Bnei Yosef about uh, Benot Slavchad and what's going to happen there. And the last chapter of uh, Dvarim is the death of Moshe. But the last chapter of Shemot is celebratory. It should be sung by a choir. It's beautiful. So after this long winter, at some point, Hashem says to Moshe, on the first day of the first month, meaning almost a year since you got out of Mitzrayim, set up the Mishkan, which from the perspective of what I suggested last week, is the confirmation of Hashem accepting our tshuva. And then in detail, I'm not going to read it, but in detail, he goes to put this over here and put this over there and put the menorah here and set up the candles and put the table, the shulchan here and set up the bread, etc. Set everything up, right? And what happens? And then there's a description of everything coming in. We zip down to the end. The cloud covered the tent. And God's glory filled the Mishkan. So there's a cloud on top and God's glory, whatever that may be. Moshe could not go in because of that. This reminds us, of course, of the top of our Sinai, 
Moshe goes up to the top and has to wait outside for six days and then Hashem calls him in. And now we get a historic perspective. When the cloud would lift up, and Israel would travel. All the travel. So this is now retrospective from year 40. And if the cloud would not lift up, they would stay put. Okay. And here's the Chazak. The cloud is on the Mishkan with a clouded day and pillar of fire at night as B'nai Israel traveled. And that's the end of Sefer Shemot. That's the Chazak Chazak B'nai Chazak. And it's a gorgeous, exciting pasuk. Trumpets in major blaring. It's great. But we got to connect some dots here. How do we get from Shemot B'nai Israel that ultimately descend to this august point? And how are these things connected? So I'd like to take us here and, and take a look at the star of the Mishkan. The star of the Mishkan, without a doubt, is Aharon Kohen. There is no question. In describing the Kohanim, for instance, the close of the Kohanim, or the dedication, the inauguration of the Kohanim, Aaron gets, I don't know, 95% of the press, and his sons get the other 5%. There is such exquisite detail about the ephod and the choshen and the me'il and the tzitz. And then when you talk about the migvat and the avnet and the kutonet and the michasayim, it's a half a pasuk. So let's take a look at the garments that Aharon is going to wear. The asuata ephod. This goes back now to Parshat Ketzavet. The asuata ephod. They're going to make they should make the apron, right? And the apron's going to be made of these bits of materials. And there's going to be two shoulder straps on coming over the shoulder, coming over the front, right? Which will then connect, as we will see, to the choshen. There's going to be two avneshom, two precious stones, one on each shoulder. Meaning you have a strap coming from the back. The foot is worn on the back, and the strap comes over. In fact, I even supplied a little picture that. We have here, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it gives you a sense. The ephod is here on the back. And so you have the ephod, and then there's straps that come to the front, and you're going to put two stones, one on each shoulder. What are you going to carve into those stones? The names of B'nai Israel. Six names on one stone. And they're supposed to be listed in birth order. I'm going to show you the Rambam sheet of this. You'll see the birth order is a little odd. That's the method by which you do it. Al Shemot B'nei Yisrael. So suddenly we see Shemot B'nei Yisrael repeated several times as being a significant marker in the Ephod or the Kitfot Ephod. Okay, and now, Samtah, Pasuk Yodbet, Samtah Shtei Avanim, Al Kitfot Ephod, Avnei Zikaron L'Bnei Yisrael. These are stones of commemoration. And Aaron will carry the names of B'nai Yisrael before Hashem as a commemoration. Commemoration of what? Unclear. To remind God, as it were, however you explain them theologically, about uh, the sons of Yaakov and how great they are? Unclear. 
And the next thing is Mishpitzot Zahav, that's part of the, of, the, uh, of the arrangement. And then Vasita Choshen Mishpat, and now the Choshen. What's the Choshen supposed to be? So we get the material, we get the side, we find out that there's 12 stones on it, and there's four rows, and we're told it's in each row, three stones in each row. And then Pasuk Chafalach, Vavanim Tiana Al Shmot Bnei Yisrael, Shtem Yisrael Shmotam. The stones are also Shmot Bnei Yisrael, but now it's not two stones, it's 12 stones. Right, and then description of the Choshen. And at the end of the Choshen, what are we told? Aharon is going to carry the names of Bnei Yisrael. When he walks into the Mikdash, he has to wear the Choshen Mishpat, which is going to have the names of Bnei Yisrael. It should always be a commemoration before God. Aaron will be wearing this entire garment. Notice, Shmot Bnei Yisrael and Mishpat Bnei Yisrael. On his heart, in front of Hashem at all times. And then we're told about the Me'il, and afterwards we're told about the Tzitz. Now the Tzitz also has writing on it. Tzitz is the gold strip that goes on top of Aaron's head. And what does it say there? Two words, Kodesh Ladonai. And again, Venasa Aaron et Avona Kodashim. Aaron will carry, but now he's not carrying the names, he's carrying the sins of Kodashim, meaning if people, somebody brought a korban and they were Tamei, that it makes the korban accepted. What is it that we have here? So if you look at the Kohen, look at Aaron a Kohen, picture him. Matter of fact, picture him right here. There you go. You take a look at this. You see, Looking at his chest, you see the names of 12 Bnei Israel. The truth is this is inaccurate because there's other stones, which include Avim Yitzhak and Yaakov, and below Shifteyah, so that every letter is there because of the Urim Tumim. And then the stones on the Kitvot Ha'ifod with six names here and six names there. And on top, Kodesh Lashem. Right? That's the Kohen. Is there anything on the chain connecting the two pieces together? No. Okay. No. So, parenthetically, this is the Rambam's theory, and I put the Rambam's text here. This is the Rambam's theory about the two kitfot taifod. Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. See it? Yisachar Zvulun. So we're going first Leah's kids, even though not birth order. Then Naphtali Dan, which is out of order. God Asher, and then all this is Yehosef and Binyamin. Because so there's some misora to have the same amount of letters on each side. And this way, by switching Naphtali and Dan, and adding the hey to Yosef, which is in Tilim, Edut Yosef, you get 25 on each side. Okay. But I want to do you look this more experientially. I'll tell you a quick story. And with that, hopefully bring this all together. I was, um, I did this a number of times at camp. I have a group, especially if like the division head or the counselor would say, having a problem, kids are fighting. In, in my bunk, they're not getting along. I said, okay, great, we'll go out, went outside at night. And we stood in a circle and I put a pile of rocks in the circle, in the middle of the circle. And I said, okay, everybody, I want you to turn around facing outward, okay? And they're all facing outward in a circle. Nobody's touching anybody. And I said, uh, how are we connected? He said, we're not connected at all. I said, okay, everybody hold hands. So they all held hands, right? The, the madrich, the chanichin, the, the boys, all, they were all holding hands. 
said, okay, how are we connected? Well, we're holding hands. And what are we looking at? Well, everybody's looking at something else. I said, okay, drop hands, turn around, pick up hands again. I said, okay, now what do we got? So we're, now we're looking at each other. Okay, very good. Now I want you to do something else. I want you to now look at the stones in the middle. The stones are meaningless. Look at the stones in the middle. I said, what just happened to the group? And invariably, there'd be a couple more intuitive kids, and make sure the Madrichim didn't answer, who would say, we're all focused on one thing. Instead of each person being focused on something else, we're all focused on one thing. And then I would talk to them about the, the need for commonality of purpose. Of understanding that when we're in a bunk together for four weeks at camp, we have a purpose that something we got to accomplish. We've got to bond. We've got to have a good time. We've got to make sure everybody's included. All that stuff. Once we have commonality of purpose, we can work together a lot better. I said, okay, but commonality of purpose is still a pile of rocks. Everybody look up. And there was a beautiful moon that night or at camp, a lot of stars. So look up. Now what are we doing? Oh, now we're all looking to something much higher. And that was the goal of the exercise to get them to see, first of all, we have to hold hands. We have to realize we're in a circle together. We have to realize we need each other. And then we have to have commonality of purpose. And then we got to make sure that purpose is an elevated purpose, not just a pile of stones. Look at Aharon. What you first see is the names of B'nai Israel separated, separate stones, four rows of three each. You look up, and what do you see? Two stones with all 12 names in birth order, recognizing that one is older than the other, but they're all on these two stones. And you don't have the first six on one stone, the next six on the other stone, they go across. And then you go further up, and what do you see on top of the coin gadol on his head? Kodesh Lashem. So when Aharon HaKohen comes into the Mikdash, he is representing, as it were, three modes of Bnei Israel's communal existence. One is separation, tribal living. We're all doing our own thing. And that could lead, of course, to civil war, as we saw in Shoftim Yotet, Chaf, Shoftim Yotet. And then you take a look and you move up. And what do you see above that? See all the names together in birth order. Birth order reminds you that we're all brothers. We're in birth order because we all have the same father. And that creates, hopefully, a sense of common cause and common concern. But common cause and common concern are not enough to have the Shekhinah come down. They are absolutely necessary, but they're insufficient. What is necessary also, what will make the Shekhinah come to Bnei Israel is also that they turn their heads up and face Kodesh Lashem. They realize that the unity that they are working on has to be a unity that is geared towards something beyond themselves, something holy, something about God. That our job as a unified group of 12 families that are now 12 huge tribes that have a common purpose, that have, that have a common concern, has to be a concern about Kiddush Hashem, about Kodesh Hashem, about bringing Kodesh Baruch into the world. And as a result of that, Aharon then comes and he brings all of this Lifnei Hashem. Notice, 
he brings the names of Bnei Israel on the Choshen, he brings the name of Bnei Israel, and that's the Zikaron. And then when he has the Kodesh Lashem, he could be Onoseat Avonah Kodashim. Now the sins can be forgiven. Because now the family together is all looking heavenward. Sefer Shmot, although it is called Sefer Hagi'ula by Chachamim, just like Vayikra is called Torah Kohanim, but nonetheless, and some actually call it Chumash Hashini, as the Ramban mentions here, and Siv also talks about it. But Shmot is aptly named because it begins with the recitation of the Shmot and how those Shmot fall away. How they descend and they forget who they are. They forget who their father is. They forget their past. They forget their nobility. I'm taking, picking up on the theme of the, of the Sforno. And it takes Moshe to pull them out. And they continue to fetch and they continue to complain because they can't get out of the small-mindedness of the lack of self-esteem. And even when they come to Har Sinai, they can't get past it, and that's the Egel. And then finally, it's after the threat post the Egel that they suddenly realize what they've got to do and they pull it together. And then we've got all of these appurtenances on Aharon representing not only the unity of Bnei Israel and the community of Bnei Israel, but the holy community of Bnei Israel whose ultimate goal is to look up and, and create a Kiddush Hashem by remembering that on top of all the names is Kodesh Hashem. And so the Shemot B'nai Israel is a theme that courses from the beginning to the very end of the Sefer. And with that, I guess it would be appropriate to say, Chazak, Chazak, Benit Chazek.